Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? I'm Olivia Haidar. We are your hosts and your guests, like every week. We are both. Olivia, how's it going? How have you been since we recorded last? Oh, you know, I'm actually, I'm feeling a little better since we recorded last. Yeah. A lot has changed in the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've uh, gotten out there. I've been talking to people. It's It's good. We're still not in Ukraine. Still haven't sent troops, I hope, by the time this yeah. goes up. Because here's the yeah, dirty was... little secret. We record these episodes back to back. So we're working in the future right now. We have no idea what happens next <sighs> week. If there is a next week. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I really, uh, I really hope we haven't done anything. Oh, my God. (laughs) What a way to start the episode. I just am so immediately just driven to depression. I think it's a good thing to mention at the start of this episode, because we're talking about something that is going to play a huge part in things that happen in Ukraine going forward. Sure. Yeah. Which is actually, yeah. Propaganda. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear a lot of it. You're already seeing it. Oh, even if it's not government sponsored, like there's a ton of stuff going up on TikTok where people uh, are like, look at this soldier filming an invasion on TikTok. Uh, and it's like that is a guy skydiving in 2015. Right. Calm well, I down. mean, in, in even, the, you know, we all we all interact with propaganda every day in our daily lives just through the pure fact of consuming American media which is itself an apparatus of propaganda in some form or another. There's very little that doesn't engender a love of a Western capitalistic ideal within us. I've done a couple episodes about a book called The CIA and the Cult of Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they talk about in that book is that in the 70s and 80s or 60s and 70s, probably still now, the CIA would set up these basically propaganda outfits that would broadcast fake news stories to whatever region they were hoping to influence, uh, trying to convince the people that the government that was leading them was corrupt and should be replaced. And there was one of these stations in particular that did that. But what their role was, was to monitor news reports from other countries. And basically Mm -hmm. report that back to whoever needed it. They would send it to the government, but also people in like academia and things. And they would keep track of legitimate news reports, but they would also keep track of who was paying attention to those fake news stories that the CIA was putting out. And what would happen is sometimes those fake news stories would get mixed in with the legitimate news stories that they were sending out to the government and to academics. And when that happened, they'd be like, oh, well... So like so now professors all around the country are forming their opinion of China based on a fake article we put out. Big deal. Right. You kind of see similar things with North Korea, which is the subject of this documentary. Absolutely. North Korea is one of the most 
I mean, it's such a it's a fascinating country in a lot of ways, but it is also a country that is so intentionally misunderstood in the West where so many forces like what's interesting about that whole CIA thing is I think what they probably realized is that they didn't really need to do any of that work. This is my feeling about a lot of stuff that the CIA did research into where what we have now is things like our various news conglomerates that have a right wing lean that own local news networks and tell them what to air whether or not it is factual or not. And that is way more effective than whatever the CIA was planning on doing. And it's also not outside the realm of possibility that that is somehow CIA connected. Because the CIA has front companies and influence in companies. So no matter who's doing it, it's happening. Like you see those clips all the time of those local news stations. It's usually Sinclair Broadcasting. Sinclair, yeah. Every reporter in every town is just reading a script about the same talking point. And that's just as bad. Like, I I don't know why people are so – I don't know. Maybe people do accept it as propaganda, but I don't don't think they do. And that's clearly what it is. That is someone at a very high level, government involved or not, wanting one message – Put out to people, whether it's factual Absolutely. or not. They just want to influence the way things work. And I think this documentary, we're talking about the documentary, The Propaganda Game. And I think one of the things that this documentary does a good job at is very gently, without putting too much of an emphasis on it, very gently guiding the viewer towards that realization by how it intercuts the way that American media, specifically Fox News, which is weirdly proportionally clipped a lot more in this movie than other news outlets, yeah. uh, how how they speak about North Korea and how that is a type of propaganda in its own right. And I think this is a good the, – the thing this documentary is the best at is being a fairly good introduction – to the idea that there is a larger dialectical discussion to be had about North Korea other than the Western narrative of it being a hopelessly backward place where only human rights abuses happen and the actual people who live there are totally backgrounded and not uh, thought of at all other than as victims which fit into a narrative yeah and it starts with that right away it one of the things it opens with is a montage of clips of various media outlets and elected officials talking about how insane north korea is yeah and how unhappy the people are and then it cuts to the most charming xylophone performance i've ever seen in my entire life yeah (laughs) and the, the thing about this scene and a lot of scenes in this documentary, if you read reviews of this documentary, uh, which came out in 2015, by the way, mm-hmm. if you read reviews of this, there's all these scenes like the xylophone scene and people are like, well, yeah, that's just North Korea showing you what they want you to see. Right. But also this girl clearly knows how to play the xylophone. Sure. And they have all put this routine together. 
Like, I don't think they learned it overnight upon finding out that a filmmaker was coming. So, like, what would this performance have looked like if the cameras weren't there? Was she going to be, like, beating dissidents in the head with her xylophone sticks? It's an interesting thing because – and this is something that we'll definitely talk about more because this is, like, the heart of the documentary – is that there are definitely scenes within the film that, at least in my opinion – have clearly been staged for the filmmakers in order to present some sort of image of how the government wants the country portrayed. But one of the things that I I like about this film is that it is constantly showing footage from a distance of people in the country just kind of living. And, and, you know, they're at a park. They're, you know, they're just going to and from like, you know, they're going to the giant bronze statues of their past leaders, which are weird. But so is Mount Rushmore. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so, you know, but like there's enough stuff like so much of this documentary, like there's enough focus on people who are clearly unaware of the fact that they are being filmed, that it does show that. There's more going on than just it's not just all a setup. It couldn't be a setup. Right. It would be it like it's st- logistically impossible. And I think it's really effective. Yeah. The documentary is made by a, a Spanish filmmaker named Alvaro Longoria. Yeah. And he meets up with a guy named Alejandro. Yeah. Alejandro Caudabenos, I believe. I, you know, I'm not I don't speak Spanish, but I believe that's his full name. He is the only foreigner working for the North Korean government. Yeah. And that that's who gets Alvaro Longoria into the country. And he is a fascinating fucking dude. He is just he ends up becoming the stealth subject of the documentary in a lot of ways. And every little tidbit that we learn about him is so interesting. Yeah. He basically acts as the guide for the filmmakers tour of North Korea. And I think a big point of the documentary is in those moments where you're like, well, is this staged or is this actually Mm -hmm. what North Korea is like? The film just kind of leaves that up to you to decide. They don't ever really directly address it. Right. And one of the first moments like that, one that I think was clearly staged is the people taking their wedding photos at the DMZ. <laughs> it's like, no, what? it's not even pretty. No, like, I could see if it was a very scenic place, but there's just all these official looking buildings. And well, they're they're painted in a nice shade of blue. Yeah, so I, I I'll give them those. But I still don't know if. Yeah. Young newlyweds are taking their wedding <laughs> photos at the DMZ. Look, no, I, I don't. That's not something that I would do. And <laughs> I definitely, you know, it, it seems suspicious. Yeah, it's weird, you know. And like, like I said, North Korea is for many reasons just a, an incredibly fascinating country. There's just so much going on. And one of the things that I think this documentary highlights is how much it is, you know, even though they hate America for some valid reasons and some kind of exaggerated reasons, they are also clearly trying that is their model, you know, and so much of the things that come off as dystopian, especially in Western eyes, are kind of a caricature of 
American society in some ways. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's at this point in the documentary where I'm realizing I don't know that much about the Korean War. <laughs> you just watch MASH. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even that, even MASH, I didn't like that much. Aw. Hawkeye. Uh, we do find out North Koreans are taught in school that America is the reason for their financial hardship and humiliation on the world <laughs> stage. And it's like, yeah, us too. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's basically every, everybody should be taught that. It's probably true. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Again, I think they they fudge, you know, their part in the beginning of the Korean War. But so does America. Yeah. And uh, I think they are definitely correct that their financial hardship is mostly at the fault of America, you know, among other forces. But that's a big one. Yeah, that's how we fight war when we don't want to send troops. We exactly. just choke you out financially. Ask Venezuela. Right. And one of the things they touch on in this and one of the things I think people don't take into account enough is it's very logical that North Korea spends as much money on defense as they do. Yeah. And that they put out this attitude of fucking try us. We yeah. will fucking nuke you. What would you do if you were right. North Korea? Like they are surrounded by countries that want nothing more than for their government to fail. At least you right. would think that's the case. Right. Well, but yeah. They and they get into later. Maybe that's not that. Yeah. But no, yeah, it, it's definitely it, it's reasonable. It, it's very similar to Germany pre World War One, where they were this tiny new country and they were surrounded by these larger entities that had way more history that wanted to eat them. <laughs> and yeah. so they built up this insane military and, you know, that ended up becoming a huge problem for the world. But like a it's bit. a very it's a totally similar mindset. And it's something that we understand as reasonable when we're talking about 18th, 19th century Germany. And it's something that we find totally irrational and terrible when we talk about 20th and 21st century North Korea. They talk a lot about military exercises that we conduct yeah. with South Korea all the time. And countries don't like that. No. Like, no country likes you practicing war in their ocean. Like, I mean, uh, American military bases and American military actions in our allied countries are out of fucking control and are totally fucking up our relationship, not only with the, the neighboring countries who are hostile, but also with those allied countries like places like South Korea, you know, are they feel safe having the U.S. bases there because, you know, they're they're so close to a country that is uh, dangerous in many ways. But like, you know, then there's like Japan that still has a million fucking U.S. military bases on it and they hate having them there and yeah. they want them on. And that's how we should just not have those. That's ridiculous. All we're doing is causing strife. Yeah. People don't like having their land occupied. Sucks. Especially in the Middle East. We yeah. found that out the hard way. But anywhere like it's in. No. And man, we love doing it. Right. And, and this is just the whole North Korea thing. And it's so much about 
Western devaluation of Eastern sovereignty, basically. I was struggling to come up with a word, <laughs> but like there, there is just such this Orientalism where any reaction that an Asian country has to Western action is seen as totally irrational and dangerous when the same reaction from a Western country would be seen as natural and understandable. And it's just it, it's just a baked in problem when it comes to talking about North Korea. Yeah. So let's talk about Alejandro. Yes. How are we feeling about Alejandro? He seems to genuinely love North Korea. Oh, yeah. No, he's a true believer. He's a fucking, again, really, really interesting guy. I was glad that they talked to his parents because yeah. I wanted to know what they were like. Yeah, his his dad says Alejandro was just super duper into communism. Like, yeah, from early on and obviously was looking for a society that works in an ideal communist kind of way. And he settled yeah. on North Korea. I guess. And like, it's just so he said, like, one of the first things that he says of the documentary is that his dream since he was a young boy was to join the North Korean military, which is a weird, objectively weird dream for a Spanish kid to have. Because one for one thing, where did he hear about the North Korean army? Right. Like, what was he reading? His parents just seem kind of chill. I They're guess. Like, so, yeah, I don't know where he would have gotten all his information about the North Korean army or what would have made a young boy in Spain want to join them. But, yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of Alejandro. It's just no a strange situation in he's, general. Yeah, he's kind of an enigma. And like I said, he kind of becomes the subject of the documentary in an, in a roundabout way. Because as it goes on, like, first of all, we're spending so much time with him because he is their primary guide through North right. Korea. And we are just occasionally getting more and more bits and pieces of information about his life and his early life and his role within the North Korean government. And it's just very interesting. Yeah, he's a character. That's he really is. For sure. I could have done with a documentary just about him. Yeah. And I think this is the closest we'll ever get. And yeah. yeah. And it functions pretty well as that. But yeah, I would I wanted more. He's almost like a celebrity in yeah. that country because he's so, uh, like he can. It seems like they let him come and go as he pleases and he can right. go back to Spain when he wants. I'm surprised well, Spain lets him come back. That's like his job is like to go yeah. out and basically it's kind of implied get money from people overseas and bring it back into North yeah. Korea and also to and then like his other job is to it seems essentially tell like talk to anybody that he can in North Korea and tell them about how the rest of the world thinks that North Korea is just the best and that yes. they love what everybody in the world loves what's happening here. And I think that's a really fascinating job to have within the government. <laughs> Propaganda is basically his job. Yes. And, and he admits that. And he embraces it. Too. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a bit where people talk about how everyone gets free housing and everything is great and there's lots of museums for people to enjoy. And it's hard to know how much of this is accurate and how much is just people saying what they're supposed to say. But again, like I'm always conflicted when you see this museum. It looks like a nice museum. People are coming in and out. They're visiting. And people are like, yeah, that's just what they want you to see. And it's like, well, the museum's there. Like, (laughs) what are are... they doing with it when the cameras aren't rolling? Again, are they like beheading dissidents in that building? Like, it's still a museum. (laughs) No, it's definitely a real museum. It is interesting. Like, the part where he says that there was literally no one else in the museum besides the people who came in with him is interesting. I think that's a I think that's an interesting fact that kind of says that maybe it's not as open as they are insisting it is, but it seems like it is a public utility. I'm sure they bring children there. It just seems educational in a way that North Korea would appreciate. But also, if something like this happened in the United States, depending on how important the person giving the tour was or the person receiving the tour, I could see us shutting down a museum so that tour could happen in private. I think, yeah, I think that's a perfectly rational explanation for why the museum is empty. That yeah. doesn't really phase me at all. Like that Beyonce, is just a, Beyonce is I, not standing in line to buy tickets at the Broad. Like, right. They're just shutting that down for her so she and Jay-Z yeah. can walk through it. Like, I get that it looks weird that there's no one there, but. Right. I think it was an interesting thing to note, but I definitely don't think it's any sort of referendum on, you know, people's rights in North Korea, which is how it seems many people react to many of the things that are shown, uh, yeah. both in this documentary and, you know, just in general about North Korea. The water park scene, I think, is yeah. kind of the same thing where mm-hmm. a lot of people would be like, well, that's just what what they want you to see. And it's like, I don't know. It looks like they know how to use the water park. Yeah. Like, it, it seems, seems really like the people nice. using it have used it before. And it's like, yeah. why would you build a water park just on the off chance that a foreign dignitary is going to come visit and you need to impress them with your water park. And I, you know, I guess the counter argument would be like, but it's usually only for like military or officials or whatever. I don't know. But like at a certain point, you're just tying yourself in knots in order to otherize an entire nation. Yeah. Which is not really helpful, even if the nation does terrible things to its citizens. I bet there are countless nations on this earth that do not have a single water park within <laughs> their borders. Exactly, And yeah, it looked like a nice water park. And again, this is one of those times where they are pretty far removed from the water park. They're not interviewing people at the water park. The people down there don't really seem like they know that there are cameras around. Right. It's not a thing that seems staged in the way that some of the other activities that they go-to seam stage. Right. I do like that in these moments, there are some scenes also where 
it's a little more questionable in that way. Yes. Like the scene where they go to a woman's apartment and she's mm. cooking dinner. Yeah. The apartment looks very new. It looks like yes. a almost like a model apartment. Yes. And she's talking about how she's going to cook dinner. And the guy's like, what are you cooking? Can I see in the refrigerator? And she's like, oh, uh, no, no. Yeah. And they were like, she's just shy. Yeah. Korean people don't like showing what's in their refrigerator. Well, it's like, I don't know if then, I've ever heard that before. Well, and then the, in the voiceover, he says, we never saw the refrigerator. Like, yeah. they literally didn't even see the refrigerator, not let alone open it, which I found interesting. Again, yeah. like, there are reasons that you could explain that that is, you know, reasonable. But that's one of those things that seems kind of staged in a way to make it look normal. And, you know, I don't know. There's also a I don't know what your take on it was, but I found it to be a very heartbreaking scene where they were sort of trying to set it up to seem like North Korea is, again, a really cool place because they're interviewing a young guy mm -hmm. and he's like, yeah, I went to the military and then I went to university and they they kind of drive home the point in this documentary that like you get like everyone works in right. North Korea, like you all get housing. And with the mm -hmm. housing, they're like, yeah, but you don't get to choose. It's like, I don't know. Free housing is still free. Yeah, housing. I mean, look, that that's the thing. If you're poor in America, you don't get to choose where you live anyway. Exactly. Like, and it's not free. So <laughs> but this guy, they interview him and he talks about having gone to school after serving in the military. Yeah. And they're like, well, what are you studying for? And he says, I'm studying to be a locomotive driver. Yeah. And the the guy interviewing him goes, well, what do you want to do? Like, what, yeah. what did he you- He says, what's his dream? Yeah. And this man looks broken for a couple seconds and then goes, I want to be a locomotive driver. And it's I, like, <laughs> you can tell he doesn't want to be a locomotive driver. I, I mean, I guess. And like, look, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I do think- Again, I think it's dangerous. It, it's just tricky territory to try to read into someone's body language in a documentary like this. Like you could read brokenness or, you know, resignation into that. Or maybe that's just what he looks like when he's thinking about that subject. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, I hope so. He looked sad, though. I mean, sure. But like. I don't know if he looks sad. I, maybe that's just what his face looked like, you know? Like, so sometimes I look angry and I'm not angry, you know? But like... Yeah, I mean, it, I'm, but, I'm not saying it's a completely bad thing. Like, I, no. I have jokingly, but also not really jokingly, argued that my favorite version of a dystopian future is the one where a computer makes all your decisions for you. Well, you'll like the Adam Curtis documentaries that we're going to, like, watch. Yeah. But, um, no, but, you know, like... Look, he probably wasn't given a lot of options when he enrolled in university about what he could major in. And locomotive driver might have just been the one that he was like, yeah, that seems like the one that I could get behind the most. But, you know, it's hard to really criticize that idea too much because a lot of people aren't satisfied with their lot in life yeah. and the thing that they have been forced into doing for the rest of their life, you know? 
And like, yeah. you know, it sucks that when he's talking about his live stream, all he can think about is the job that he will have. And, you know, maybe that is indicative of some deeper, you know, societal ill. But also, like, I bet you could have that exact same interview with a lot of working class people around the world. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people in North Korea who would answer that question in a way that looks less sad. Like, I'm sure there are people who got the job they fucking wanted. Right. And also they're interviewing this guy. He seems very young to have served in the military and then gone to college. He seems like he's maybe 20 or 21. uh, And he's like just hanging out at a park with friends like at a skate park and the people are rollerblading and skateboarding around. And I'm like, you know, that doesn't seem like a total, you know, mind controlled brainwashed masses. That just seems like a bunch of normal people who are trying to get by in a country that is less than ideal. Yeah, I do. Again, whenever I see that, I'm like, well, what would it look like if the cameras weren't there? Like, would those people not just be there enjoying their day? Like, yeah, that seems extreme. They get a little... I mean, I don't know. I can't say they're being hypocritical because this isn't an American making this film. Right. But they- But a Westerner. Yeah, a Westerner. And they they get into some things that are meant to be a, a slam against North Korea, like how, yes, you get free education, but also that means you get indoctrinated by the government from birth. And uh, what happens here? Like, we have yeah. to pay to get indoctrinated by the government from birth. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't think I said the Pledge of Allegiance before class as a child because there was educational value in it. No, that's something that's so fucking creepy and never goes examined in our country that that is a thing. I I got in detention multiple times because I refused to stand to say the pledge in high school. Like, you get punished for not – giving in to the state indoctrination in America. Like, sure, was it like harsh punishment or whatever? But like, you know, these are not dissimilar phenomena. Yeah. The same thing happens when they start getting into how Kim Jong-il and North Korea in general use the film industry for propaganda purposes. And it's like, yeah, so do we. Have you seen The Hurt Locker? Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty? Like... (laughs) The CIA has a Hollywood liaison department. That's not rumor or conjecture. You can just go on their website and find it. Like they have (laughs) a Hollywood liaison who will sit in and uh, guide you along the filmmaking process to make sure you tell the story and make the CIA look the way they want it all to happen. And and look, and there are filmmakers who are able to get in a counter message within that system in America – you know, such as Catherine Bigelow with those films, you know, even yeah. though they they may have help from the government, they still, I think, make a claim that the the way the military and the CIA operates is un, unsuccessful. But uh, and we aren't North Korean and we don't speak that North Korean dialect, you know, and so that may be the case within the North Korean film industry. It may not. But regardless, you know, of course, their films are advancing their country's agenda. That's what I mean, whether they want to or not, film, you know, has a political subtext, no matter what it is. Take your Marvel movies. Jesus. Yeah. As we were 
researching this, I found another North Korea documentary that I kind of want to try and track down and cover also. Sure. But it's from 1989. Okay. And it's a polish documentary and apparently in 1988 north korea just let a bunch of filmmakers come in and they were like someone make a movie and we'll pick the movie we like and that's the one that'll go out and they picked this movie called defilada which means the parade in uh poland or in Mm -hmm. polish and uh North Korea ends up like super duper praising this movie yeah and then slowly they start to realize that this movie was actually very critical of North Korea and of totalitarianism in general. And they eventually made this filmmaker like a, like he's banned from the country now. But when it first, like, that's why I'm so fascinated to see it. Yeah. Because at first they were like, oh, this is great. Thank you. Right. And then eventually they were like, wait, right. This isn't nice at all. Yeah, I would be very interested to watch the documentary and that film. That would be very fascinating. Yeah. And like, you know, speaking of Hollywood fucking like propaganda, I immediately after watching this documentary last night, watched the Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy, The Interview, which was famously, you know, that's the reason why. North Korea hacked Sony and released all of Sony's emails. <laughs> Which and was funny. Got, yeah, it got that film, uh, you know, sh- mostly shut down out of theaters. I'm pretty sure it was mostly released digitally. Yeah. And that movie is propaganda. Like, oh, 100%. it's kind of funny in points. Like, it's got a couple, Seth Rogen gets a good, a couple good lines, but it is mostly jingoistic and xenophobic. And kind of racist in a lot of ways. Seth Rogen and James Franco both do a lot of Asian accents and it sucks. And like that is straight up Hollywood propaganda. That's what that movie is like. And I kind of understand North Korea being pissed off about it because also they kill like their current sitting leader. And we got mad about a dumb independent movie about the assassination of George Bush. So, yeah, well, that that was the my one issue with that is he was like, well, there's never been a movie where they depict the murder of a sitting world leader. And it's like, yeah, there was in 2006, the George Bush movie. But the difference is that it was a small movie. It was not a – like that was a tiny independent film, whereas like the interview was a major Hollywood blockbuster. And the the difference also with Death of a President, which is what I think the George Bush movie was called. The thing about that movie, you go into it thinking – like because I remember watching it when George Bush was in office. Me too. It was at the theater I worked at. I think a lot of people went into it thinking, oh, man – it's going to be so cathartic seeing George W. Bush get shot. No, yeah. And then it happens after. and you're like, oh, no, this is so bad. Yeah. Like, it, I didn't want it to end this way. Like, this is right. going to be chaos. So it – like, it's not the movie I think people thought it was going to be. It's not no. relishing in George W. Bush dying. It's saying this right. is not what you want to happen in your country. Right. And it's also like, again, it, it's just not a very comparable example. And I think it's a fair thing for North Korea to be angry about. I don't love that. I mean, it's kind of funny the the Sony emails that were released. But like, you know, I think maybe that was an overreaction. But 
again, they're a country that is constantly threatened and uh, constantly uh, othered by Western society. And so, you know, I think they're kind of touchy. And yeah. I get it. Uh, if if there's just no comparable example, there's no there there's no back. You know, like there there's nothing back at America that could happen that would be similar to the interview. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like there's just no there's nothing that would be as insulting. Right. Well, yeah, because we wouldn't show it in our theaters for one thing. You got for get one in, thing, yeah, it'd be made by another our, fucking country. Get into our market for it to matter. Yeah. I found it, the part where they talk about juche very interesting. Yes. That is a word that describes – I call it North Korea's swagger. <laughs> like it's how they describe their attitude toward life. Right. And it's this really interesting section where they talk about how no one understands what it means and because no one understands it, no one's going to protest against it. Right. And no one can explain it. And then they explain it in like two sentences. Well, they don't. Though. That's the thing about their explanations of it is oh, that I it doesn't really it's it's vague. It's vague, you know, aphorisms. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the game, you know, that well, no, pickup artist book. That's the thing. It's the secret. It's the, yeah, it's it's the, the secret. The science of getting rich. This is the quote. Sure. Man is the master of everything and decides everything. Man is right. the master of the world and his own destiny and is the transformer of the world and the shaper of his destiny. That right. is just the science of getting rich. That's all that sure. is. Yeah. And like, but again, it, it, I mean, same with the science of getting rich or the secret. The, those things don't really mean anything. They mean whatever the person is saying yeah. them wants it to mean, which is kind of what they're getting at with the, if no one can understand it, no one will protest it thing. Like there's not really anything to protest there because there's no substance to those statements. Yeah. But like, again, you know, like I hate to be, well, blah, blah, this and that, like, you know, uh, point one finger and, you know, it's coming right back at you. Like, <laughs> obviously there are problems with North, with North Korean society, but like there's a lot of fucking lunatic uh, nationalist uh, like slogans that Americans believe without no. question. Take it back. Things like, you know, I mean, just the 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 statement, well, America's the greatest country in the world. That is a mainstream thought within America. Like, that is just a thing that the, the casual person doesn't even question during the day. It's just like, well, I mean, obviously, America is the greatest country in the world, you know, even if that's followed by a but. Yeah. Like, it. That's, that is the same kind of indoctrination that we're talking about with Juche. Or uh, any of these North Korean propagandas. Yeah, it's absolutely propaganda. God bless America is propaganda. Yes. Like, why is God singling out America? I bet that's and again, not true. Yeah, and not to even, like, not to keep harping on the Pledge of Allegiance, but the Pledge of Allegiance is fucking creepy. Yeah. yeah. It's creepy as fuck if you ever fucking listen to what it's actually saying. Like, you're pledging allegiance to the flag? Like, you're it's, pledging – like, I think that pledging allegiance seems to be kind of counter to the whole, oh, freedom and justice for all thing of America, but maybe that's just me. And it's absolutely indoctrination. Like, it's absolutely. the same thing. Yes. And it's just that – again, and this is uh, – I mentioned earlier, North Korea is just kind of more they, – they just – 
take it to the logical extremes of what American ideology does. Yeah. Like it's just all out in the open and they're not really hiding their more extreme views behind like double speak the way we do here. So then the documentary gets into all of those wild stories that we hear about North Korea, yeah. uh, like killing people with tank rounds to the chest and discovering unicorns and shit. All of which, again, most of these clips keep coming from Fox News, which I find interesting yeah. because yeah. I think that is a good counterpoint as far as a national propaganda arm goes. Like they are they are doing the exact same thing that, you know, these North Korean news anchors that we see throughout the clip do. Like, it's the same show. It's just a different language. Yeah. And you see it all over the media. Like, Fox News isn't uh, totally guilty alone in that. Oh, yeah. I'm just singling them out as the, uh, again, the most outre kind of version of it. Yeah. Alejandro pops up in this part where they're talking about these wild stories about North Korea. And his quote is, we are in a propaganda war. And he's right, because a lot of what happens in North inside North Korea is, again, we see him going to schools and being like, you would not believe how much the rest of the world loves us. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny, which is funny to see. Yeah. Objectively, as a as a as a Westerner and as someone who lives in uh, outside of North Korea, it's funny to see a man, a grown man, just regaling these children with ideas that uh, everybody in the world you know, has these specific feelings of love towards North Korea society. Yeah. But also that's how American children are taught about how people feel about that's how American adults are taught about how like think about the fucking Iraq war. They'll they'll greet us with as liberators, you know, all of that shit like that was the talking point of the Iraq war invasion. Yeah, and I have no doubt that a lot of these stories that come out of North Korea are not true. The one they bring up in particular is this story about how Kim Jong-un killed his uncle, who was a a member of the government, right, and killed him using a pack of dogs, a pack of wild dogs. And it's like, well, if he was controlling them as a pack and sicking them on people, they're not wild. They're just a pack right. of dogs who are <laughs> under a person's control, which is the opposite of wild. But also, it seems like that story originated with a Chinese blogger. Yes. As, like satire. And again, like I was saying about the CIA sending these stories that they gather out into the world. Right. This is an example of it. Or I mean, not saying the CIA is responsible right. for spreading this, but probably. I mean, well, no, but also the Chinese government has just as much of an incentive yeah. to spread similar rumors as does so many. That's the thing. We can't with a lot of the North Korea stuff. We can't just pin it on the CIA. Because there are global interests in keeping North Korea as a weirdo rogue state that no one can control. Yeah, and they bring up defectors. And that is also a thing that comes up in the CIA and the cult of intelligence. The CIA is way into defectors, or at least they they very much were during the Cold War, probably still now. Because if you're talking about a country like North Korea that we don't have – a lot of access to that's right. one of the funniest things in that CIA in the cult of intelligence book <laughs> is they make it really clear that at least in the 60s and 70s, we were bad at spying. 
Yeah. Like we could not get inside <laughs> Russia. We could not get inside China. Like we just had yeah. to hope someone would leave and tell us what was going on in there. And even then, the CIA especially got so bad at in-person spying and flipping people that yeah. at one point a defector leaves Russia and just walks into the CIA's office at some point and is like, hey, I'm here to defect. And they're mm -hmm. like, we think you're playing a trick on us. Get out of here. And right. then they eventually defect to MI6. And MI6 was like, okay, this this works. And that's how they got all the information from the guy because right. we, were, we were bad at it. But it was also a thing we took a lot of interest in. Whenever someone would defect, the CIA would basically intercept that person and one – would you know interview them, try to get whatever information they could get, but also mm -hmm. help them write memoirs yeah. because they wanted someone from inside that country to come to the United States and write a book about how terrible this fucking country was. And yeah. sometimes those people would kind of make up their accounts of things and end things up would be exaggerated. the story later. And I mean, that definitely still happens, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, look, like there, there are a couple of defectors who are featured throughout giving interviews separate i believe it seems like they're like stock footage interviews not made for the documentary uh with i believe their names are shin dong hyuk i'm sorry i don't speak korean and am myung chul uh both of whom give very moving testimonies about their time in north korea and I am not of the mind to necessarily doubt what they say, and I'm sure they are accurate to their experiences in the country, but I think it's also dangerous to paint the entire country, and this is a, how the West often operates. Uh, I don't think it's fair to paint the entire country based on the testimony of defectors like this. No. But – I don't I also don't think it's fair to discount their stories entirely. It's again, the thing about North Korea that is that it's extremely complicated. Everything yeah. about it is super complicated and the West has just simplified it into this is a crazy place where people are tortured and murdered in the street and awful things happen all the time when it's actually a place that people have to live and that life happens in. And we yeah. can't discount that. Yeah. Like under any dictatorship or any regime like that, life does go on. There's still sports and movies and you yeah. can go to stores and you can go eat at restaurants. Like right. what is pretty clear in this documentary is that, I mean, it's called the propaganda game because as Alejandro said, they're in a propaganda war in this. Right. It works both ways. Obviously, North Korea is going to when someone defects, they're going to be like, well, yeah, but the U.S. is just they're influencing their story. But it's like, all right, but they also defected, dude. Yeah. Like, what did they like? We've seen videos of people trying to cross the DMZ and getting shot at. Like, sure. Are those deep fakes or <laughs> is it yeah. really like that trying to get out of North Korea? And it seems like it is. It is. So it's. And it's a thing that goes both ways. And I don't think Americans take that into account. I think we just assume that we always tell the truth about the evil people. I do think it's interesting when it comes to the people being shot at the DMZ thing is, you know, the way that those can be a lot more gray than the black and white that they appear to be is that by the very nature of the DMZ, it could also be the South or an American troop killing these people crossing the DMZ because yeah. that is the nature of the DMZ. 
is that that is a place that you don't cross unless you have authorization. And so I don't know. They hmm? bring up in the documentary, what an ironically named place. Yeah. It is the I most guess. militarized well, zone on the planet. Well, because it's OK, but it's referring to the space between. <laughs> so there are it's very militarized on the borders of the DMZ, <laughs> but in between, it's actually a no man's land. And that is actually where there is no military presence. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Alejandro is on some shit when he starts talking about how North Korea is not ruled by a dictator. It's yeah. like, man, North Korea has been ruled by the same family since before my mom was born. <laughs> like, who yeah. did Kim Jong-un defeat in the last election? It's a fucking dictatorship. Get out of here. Absolutely. I think that is a thing that they should just own. And yeah. try to normalize as this is our society. This is... And I, I think what Americans will never take into account is sometimes people want a fucking dictator. Yeah. I mean, whether or not that is a healthy desire, right. you know, which is its own conversation. Absolutely. The people of North Korea clearly have genuine, whether indoctrinated or not, they clearly have genuine love and affection for all three of their great leaders of the past. And they make such a big deal about people being forced to cry, like when Kim Jong-il died. Right. And it's like people in England weep when their fake royal family dies. Exactly. Like, how is that any different? What are yeah. you shitting on North Koreans for weeping for their president for? Like, it makes people, no people sense. People cried about fucking Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Like, nuts. people cry about the, they people, it, whether again, whether healthy or not. People around the world invest pieces of themselves into their world leaders. Yeah. And while I find that personally disturbing and abhorrent and not something that I am capable of doing, it's a fact of life around the world. And yeah. to just criticize North Korea because of that and to claim that they are faking it and to read all of these nefarious intents into those sorts of things is, again, total Orientalism, total alienating these people who are just human beings like the rest of us. What do you think about the church scene? Creepy. I thought it was creepy. The church scene was weird. On the one hand, there are people there practicing religion, but sure. I don't know. Like one thing I've always heard about a regime like this is there's not really room to worship someone else. No, I look as a Westerner, I have no way to comment on whether or not any form of Christianity is allowed to be practiced within North Korea. I can only go based on what they are telling me in there. And also the fact that they, you know, they tend to imprison missionaries, but also like a lot of countries do that because missionaries are often agents of, chaos within the country yeah but like this church scene was very it just felt staged i can't help it it just felt staged everything about it felt off enough that i could tell that they're just i don't know but maybe this is just me this is just my western chauvinism showing yeah but it, it did sound like they'd been practicing that song they were singing yeah. a whole lot. And like, he comments on the fact that they're all really good singers and yeah. that there was no priest. And so they did not have a Eucharist and could not perform communion, which is whatever. I'm not Catholic. I don't know the protocol when a priest isn't 
available. I don't know, but like that's a coincidence, I would say, that the priest just happened to not be available on the day that they went and showed it. But also, the church was very plain for a Catholic church. There was no real Christian iconography that I could see, except for a picture of maybe Jesus and a baby. And that's it. I don't know. Uh, Look, and like I said, I think they were on an extremely guided tour making this documentary. And I'm sure that at least a percentage of the things that they were shown were fake, even if I think they got some very real candid footage. And I think that this is one of the things that was faked. Yeah, because the documentary very rightfully after this moment gets into the story of Kenneth Bay. Right. Alejandro goes on this huge rant about how they're never going to release Kenneth Bay. And then he gets released like a couple months later. But if religion is so allowed in the country, why did Kenneth Bay get arrested for bringing Bibles into North right. Korea? Which here's the thing, though, whenever I don't know, I'm always suspicious when someone gets arrested in another country and accused of being a spy, because nine times out of ten, I'm like, right, it's probably because they're a spy. Like, yeah, please know that if you've ever been allowed into North Korea, I do not trust you. I assume you are government of <laughs> yeah, some sort. I mean, I guess. But like, I don't know. I basically trust like, well, trust is a strong word, but I believe Alvaro Longoria, the director of this film. OK, like, let me backtrack. You know? If you are an American who is yes. allowed into North Korea, Please understand, Dennis Rodman, I think you're working for the government now. Wow. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I did a video at Cracked about how Dennis Rodman is clearly a government agent. Like he's Uh getting too much access in North Korea. Yeah. I mean, look, maybe. And maybe like, maybe he's uh, like Alejandro, just a a convenient fool who wants a good time. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying he's necessarily there for nefarious reasons. But if you're (laughs) being allowed into North Korea, someone's using you for nefarious reasons. No, for sure. Like, definitely an American in North Korea is super suspicious. Sure is. Because they don't they don't like us. And, you know, they mostly have pretty good reasons for not liking us. Yeah. So the last thing they talk about, and I think it's really interesting is the idea that a crazy North Korea actually benefits most involved parties. Korean unification would maybe benefit the United States a little bit. Right. Uh, Maybe China, uh, depending on how things shake out, it's going to be one or the other. But as they explain in the documentary, China doesn't necessarily want that because they like having that communist buffer right there on their border. The U.S., wants to still be able to sell weapons to people to protect them from North Korea, like the surrounding countries that we consider allies. Right. And Russia thinks a unified Korea would strengthen America's position on the world stage. And South Korea doesn't want a unified Korea because they'll be the ones who have to pay for it and it'll cost a fuck ton of money. Yeah. So it seems like the only people who might want the North Korean government toppled for real are yeah. the people of North Korea. Maybe. Maybe. Like Who knows? It, 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 I'm sure those people exist. Like every government has people that want to topple it. Like Exactly. That's, that's just and maybe a normal, they will someday. normal part of society. People disagree think, with your government. Yeah. And I think the fact that it like 
the no one seems to think that that is a like the regime being toppled from within is a possibility, which I think is an example of Western infantilization of Eastern countries. Like they just don't think that it's possible that these babies will be able to stop suckling at the teat of their great leader. Yeah. And I think that that is a really disgusting way to view them. They're human beings. And if enough of them are fed up enough with how they're being treated, then that there will be an uprising someday. Yeah. That's usually how it happens. Either that or we'll figure out a way to cause it. Like that's maybe that's also yeah, how it not? happens. Yes, that's also how it happens. I don't know, man. But I do just know that I think North Korea is a is an extreme like I've said, an extremely fascinating country. Maybe in it's in the running for most interesting nation on the planet. Just from Oh, a, for sure. Yeah. Just from a anthropological standpoint in the history of the world. There's never really been a place like that. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. It's just so fascinating. And it's such an interesting mirror to America and to how America sees itself on the world stage, which is why I think they, that we have, or, or at least our propaganda apparatus has such an instinctual disgust reaction to them because, you know, they're kind of like a little cartoon America yep. in, a lot, in a lot of ways. Like they're candy colored and they are, uh, you know, they love not, their military. Right. They love their military and they're and they're not hiding the things uh, that they are indoctrinating people with in the way that we hide behind uh, hide our ideology. And I think we find that repellent. And I uh, think that, you know, I just think this is a good documentary. Like I said earlier, if you want to just broaden your perspective on North Korea and start to get into how it is not the boogeyman of the world that you might think it is and how there are actually real human beings who live real human lives in this country. Yeah, it's an interesting documentary. We'll link to where you can watch it. In the show notes, you can still buy copies of it on DVD, but you have to have the right DVD player to play them, or you just have yeah. to know how to change that setting in your yeah. DVD, which isn't impossible. Well, and your PlayStations are all region free, yeah. um, which is something I've always liked. That is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's our episode. Yeah. People watch this documentary and decide for yourself. It's an interesting one. It is. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Yeah. I want to plug no war in the Ukraine, uh, no American military intervention in the Ukraine. I think that would be uh, the downfall of our society. Uh, and then you can also follow me on Twitter and, and Letterboxd <laughs> at either Hydar. While Twitter still exists. While it still exists and isn't pumping. Talk about a propaganda game. Oh, Ooh. Right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Todd Brown. That's Todd with one D. You can also follow the show at Conspirapops on Twitter and Instagram. I don't update that Instagram as much as I should, but I'll get around to it. Don't worry about it. Um, and uh, bonus episodes at patreon.com slash unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech, or uh, right there in your Spotify app and in your Apple podcast app soon. So, uh, hell yeah. 
do all that. Get bonus episodes. Hear us talk about <laughs> Jesse Ventura and things like that. And yeah. uh, I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>